Welcome to the ANCDS podcast. My name is Michael Beal. I'm an associate professor in the Communication Disorders and Sciences Department at California State University, Northridge, and a speech-language pathologist for UCLA Medical Center. In this episode, I talked to the LA poet Brendan Constantine about his experience facilitating poetry writing workshops for people with aphasia. Brendan is the author of four books of poetry. His work has appeared in many of the nation's literary standards, including Best American Poetry, Virginia Quarterly, Poem a Day, Prairie Schooner, and Tin House. His most recent collection is Dementia, My Darling, from Red Hand Press. Brendan has received support and commissions from the Getty Museum, James Irvine Foundation, and the National Endowment for the Arts. He currently teaches at the Windward School and since 2017 has been developing poetry workshops for persons with aphasia. Without further introduction, here's my conversation with Brendan Constantine. So, Brendan Constantine, welcome to the ANCDS podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Just to get our our listeners started here, I facilitate a a book club for people with aphasia in Los Angeles. And at a certain point, about a year into our book club, we were between books and uh, we didn't have anything to do. So someone thought that maybe we should read some poetry until we chose the next book. And I think we started, excuse me, reading Emily Dickinson. And everybody loved it. Mm. And it was some of the best conversations that we had had about written material. And about a year or two later, someone floated the idea that maybe we could write our own poetry. And then it took me another year and a half, two years, to find someone, a poet, a real poet, who would be interested in leading a workshop for our group. And so far you've done two workshops for our book club, one six weeks long and Mm -hmm. another one eight weeks long. And more recently, a, a couple months ago, we were in Southern Wisconsin at the aphasia camp mm-hmm. and you did a couple short poetry writing workshops there i've got a lot of questions to ask you about your your experiences but from kind of watching you work i thought it would be useful kind of to start at the very beginning okay sure and uh ask you what you think poetry is and because one of the things i learned from you was that, you know, there are a lot of preconceptions about what poetry is, and a lot of those preconceptions might be intimidating. So what, what is poetry? <laughs> wow. Well, in many ways, it's the antithesis of a straight answer to that question. Uh, poetry is a means through either spoken or written language to embody emotional experience rather than merely describe it. Mm -hmm. I think one of the reasons that people stumble with poetry 
is they are expecting that there's uh, some piece of information that they're supposed to extract from it, that there's that they're solving a riddle of some kind uh, or getting at a hidden message and that all poems need to be deciphered when more often than not the poet just wants you to feel something so the use of simile metaphor uh, rhythm rhyme you know maybe even the crafting of a poem so that it'll have a particular shape on a page and that kind of thing all of that is usually done to provoke an emotional response rather than some sort of information-based epiphany. We're looking for an emotional connection. Prose will describe a thing, but poetry is there to, as I say, embody it, to get it what it feels like. And, um, and so long as you're having an emotional connection of some kind, you're probably connecting with the poem. And, you know, and the more, uh, the more you connect with it, and the more you turn yourself over to it, chances are uh, the more vivid that connection will be. Sometimes the poem will tell a story. Sometimes it will have information in it. Poems can have all kinds of forms. And, you, you know, I mean, I've seen poems that look like jokes. I've seen poems that are, you know, uh, just a few words long and others that just go on and on and on for volumes. Um, but fundamentally, the author is involved, is, is invested more in invoking a feeling with you uh, rather than necessarily, uh, you know, information. Well, and you showed us a poem, if I remember correctly, that was one word long. Uh, that's right. There was uh, the poet Aram Saroyan has a poem called Light. And not only is it one word long, it's uh, misspelled. Uh, and he did it uh, deliberately so that when you saw the poem on the page, and it's just the spelling of the word light, but he's added, uh, he's repeated some letters in it so that when you first see it, you don't actually think that it's misspelled. What you think is that you're not focusing on it. Mm -hmm. And so basically this poem about light is a poem that causes everyone who reads it to blink. And so, <laughs> and in that way, uh, he's sort of invoking the nature of light. Everybody that looks at it kind of goes, what, what, what? And has to focus on it for a moment. And uh, yeah, so, I mean, you know, now some of the listeners might be going, well, how is that a poem? Um, you know, a poem is supposed to be rhyming or it's supposed to be longer or it's supposed to be a, a very particular set of subjects. And really uh, poetry's, uh, you know, as old as it is, I think it's still very young and still open to all kinds of things. And uh, our interpretation of what constitutes a poem still has a lot of room to grow. So there aren't really any rules uh, when it comes to poetry. That's, that's, that's a sensitive uh, statement to me because of course there are kinds of poetry where there are a great deal of rules. You know, right. poems that ex obey strict meters and have grammatical and uh, rhythmic conceits that, that have to be obeyed, words that have to appear at particular places. And depending on how you're introduced to poetry, you might, you know, I mean, if your first experience of poetry is the sestina, then you might be saying, what do you mean it has no rules? There's tons of rules. And yeah. we're just, for the purposes of the conversation you and I are going to have today, we're just talking about English poetry. And of yeah. course, there are traditions of poetry all over the world, you know, that are that are vastly different. So it might be, so on the one hand, I suppose you could say there are no rules. Certainly there is no 
single set of rules that the world has to obey in order to say it you know any you know any one person is writing a poem the interpretations of what constitutes a poem are as i say quite wide yeah <clears throat> well i want to get into that more in terms of how um for lack of a better way of saying it breaking the rules mm -hmm. of spelling syntax etc etc um, doesn't prevent you from writing a, a poem. Um, Not at all. Yeah, but before we get to that, I'm going to ask you even a more fundamental question, and that is: is why write poetry? What what are the what are the benefits from your experience? Because I know you've given many workshops to groups of people that were, you know, non poets, in, including, if I remember correctly, um, a workshop you did for people with dementia. Poetry, because as I say, it's, it's, it's concerned with uh, relaying and embodying emotion, is particularly suited to relaying those things that most people find very difficult to say or to, to put into just a few words. Some, some would even argue that it is the place for conveying, in language anyways, things that are ineffable. Uh, things that are, in fact, unsayable. That if, um, you know, I, I can tell you that I feel happy or sad, but I can't convey what that's like. It's going to be very difficult for me to, to, for me to share with you the kind of happiness or the kind of sadness that I feel at any given time. That is largely indescribable. And so by using uh, the tools of poetry, what I aim instead to do is to try to create as closely as I can that experience in you to get you to have the emotion that I've been having. And, uh, and for someone who doesn't necessarily want a career in poetry and is wondering why would I write poetry, I would say specifically it's for expressing those things that might seem completely impossible to express, things that, you know, if there's anything heavy on your heart, that you're trying to relate, whether it be a sense of joy or wonder, or you're in love, or you're going through grief, um, or you're just trying to, you know, you're just sort of overcome by the absolute indescribable nature of everything. Poetry might be there, you know, a poetry might be useful to you mm. as a means of getting close to that, of relaying that experience to somebody else, so that you really can, you know, across cultures, across continents, connect with somebody and say, you know what I mean? Mm. And um, so it's Paul Valerie, the poet is, is credited with having uh, said that uh, a poetry represents a language inside language. And so that anyone who, who has some agency with the tools of poetry with, with poetry itself uh, effectively doubles their available vocabulary. Once you become sensitive to the second use of language and respond to it and are able to start communicating with it, then you have this whole other sort of lexicon available to you. Uh, I've heard poetry s simply described as just that, an emotional vocabulary. Hmm. And, hmm. you know, who doesn't need that? You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, well, what, what kind of feedback do you get from your workshops particularly for first timers, people who may, you know, for one reason or another, they're there. But for example, in our book club, we had a 
a, at least a couple members who I think were uh, hesitant mm -hmm. about <laughs> about the idea of of writing poetry. Mm -hmm. What are the what what kind of feedback do you get from these workshops when people have gone through them? It's interesting. Uh, I've never well, first of all, I've never had anybody take a workshop, a poetry workshop, you know, a writing class with me and say, God, I wish I hadn't learned any of those things, um, you know, and I'm emphatically never going to use them. Um, uh, you know, maybe I'm just lucky that way. But uh, first of all, if everybody to whom I've offered a workshop comes back and yeah, uh, yeah. and the feedback that I get is, is, is overwhelmingly positive. It's, uh, you know, people talk about a kind of liberation, uh, that they have found, you know, and I've heard it put all sorts of ways, uh, students talking about having a kind of, uh, wingspan on the page, you know, once they discover that, uh, poetry, a thing that they may have always felt that they misunderstood now that they have some grasp of it, uh, they find it as a new degree of movement. And now for our experiences together with the, mm -hmm. the aphasia group, I think one of the most compelling responses came from one of our participants, Dale, a man who has a considerable number of individual paraphasias, it would seem. Yeah. And he, from repetition to, to a seemingly random substitution of, of certain words to at times also finding words that merely sound like a word that he's looking for. I mean, he has a number of these sort of symptoms. Yeah. And so when we asked him, why do you write poetry? I thought it was quite something to see him grope for a bit for the words and ultimately say, to let me out. Mm. And I thought, you know, that's, that was enormously compelling. Uh, and uh, yeah, that there's, that there's, uh, some means of connection with uh, with other people and with the world that isn't achieved by merely just describing whatever it is you're feeling or have have felt at any given time that that there's something about uh, assembling the right words, the use of simile, metaphor, personification, hyperbole, uh, you know, rhythm, all of these things to to create the feeling in somebody else that really, really uh, has an has an immediate effect on the writer as well as the as the reader or the listener, you know. Yeah. And uh, so the feedback, like I say, has been overwhelmingly positive. And it's it's for the most part, always just I, you know, sometimes it how would I put it? I mean, there was this one lady in one class. I remember she said, uh, I didn't know I had any of these muscles and that I needed to flex them until mm -hmm. the workout that we just got in this class. And she's like, now I, I, I want to use these muscles as much as I can. You know, I, I found this whole other means of communicating. Yeah. And in fact, when we did that, the first six week workshop with you, towards the end, people were writing their own poems. Mm -hmm. And I think it was about a year and, and they wanted you to come back. They did. And they wanted you to come back for longer. So a year later, hugely gratifying. That was that was yeah. that was really uh, a wonderful. Yeah, and and you came back for eight weeks, and they hit the ground running. Mm -hmm. I tried of, to wear them out. It didn't work. Yeah, yeah, and you know, before I forget, just to come back to to Dale and 
I don't think he'll mind me mentioning his name. He allowed me to publish his poems on my Twitter account. So his uh, paraphasic airs, so to speak, and I, I put airs in quotes there, were often strikingly beautiful. Yes. And, and, and I don't, I'm not sure Dale ever fully appreciated it, but uh, the other members in the group were almost jealous of um, this kind of uh, agency or. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And, and Mac or... um, yeah. And, and also having something show up, you know, to be surprised by something. Mm -hmm. And uh, his poems were definitely amongst the, the favorite in, in the group. And, and um, I think also, uh, you know, to his credit, he'd also already been writing. Yeah. You know, he, you know, and this was uh, so, you know, unlike some of the other participants, you know, uh, this was, this was something that he'd, you know, he'd already had uh, some experience with. Yeah. It, what's interesting. And for anybody, I think, who's uh, uh, interested in perhaps offering uh, aphasia, uh, aphasics, excuse me, uh, this experience. I think it's, I think it's worth uh, pointing out that one of the things that enabled a lot of, uh, the work that we did mm -hmm. was sort of asking the group to reappraise and change what they understood as a mistake or an error in language that, uh, you know, that clinically, you know, when you're, when you're going through uh, any typical therapy to help sort of uh, help you get the knack of language back if you've been dealing with aphasia or, you know, any number of things that can impair your ability to make words. You know, the, the typical therapies usually are, you know, focused on getting you to, uh, to assemble language and to create sentences in a very predictable, standard, colloquial way. And... Yeah. Uh, poets are absolutely not interested in the next expected word. We do want to be surprised. And, mm -hmm. um, and if, as I say, we're interested in embodying a feeling, if we're interested more in uh, the emotional truth of any given piece of language, be it spoken or written, then I think it, it becomes uniquely suited to somebody, for instance, with aphasia, you know, who whose first word choice, if they're able to produce a word at all, is, mm -hmm. is, is probably more likely to be emotionally accurate. What was interesting, I mean, if, if you're looking at some of Dale's poetry for the first time, you know, if you're trying to get it to scan subject verb, you may be thwarted at times. Yeah. But if you just look at the words that he's got there, you will very quickly be able to... Uh, to follow a kind of narrative, you'll be able to follow a train of thought. He's going a to feeling. hit absolutely a feeling, and it yeah. is not non sequitur. You know, yeah. I mean, when he says, I think the line was something like that his mother was a Comanche blanket or, or a Comanche, Comanche painting, huh? A Comanche painting, a Comanche painting. That's right, that his mother was a Comanche <laughs> painting. Uh, you might, you know, look at a sentence like that and go, well, that's nonsense, but it isn't nonsense. And uh, one of the things that separates it from non sequitur is, of course, intent. 
You know, mm. this wasn't somebody who was deliberately choosing random words. This was somebody who was very focused on what they wanted to say. And these are the words that presented themselves. And these are the words that came closest to what he wanted to say. Well, that's pretty much true of anybody who is trying to speak. I also know that, you know, with with poets, I have yet to meet a poet who's written a poem and come away from it and said, I nailed it. Every single one of those words is the right word. These are, you know, and this poem is perfect and needs no more help. Uh, all the poets I know feel as though poem after poem, they have failed. Uh, you know, that uh, they came close, but that close was the best that we were going to do. Yeah, and, and you you made a point um, early on in the workshops of saying something akin to the poets are constantly having word-finding difficulties. Oh, my gosh, yeah. yeah not to, not to, to make light of the kind of word-finding difficulties that uh, people with aphasia have, of course but, but that goes with the territory, first of all. Mm -hmm. And one of our the other members in our group uh, made a comment that I thought was insightful, and that was something like writing a poem in some ways has kind of, there's high aspirations there okay. in terms of maybe expressing something deeply personal and and it's art and that struggling through that and maybe even failing is a very different experience than failing in therapy, let's say, where Absolutely. you are trying to do things, quote unquote, right. Mm -hmm. um, and failing at doing things that perhaps a five-year-old could do. Right. Mm -hmm. But to try to convey sophisticated ideas and emotions on the page, everybody struggles to do that. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it's, yeah. you know, it's almost as though every poet is writing a farewell uh, or or writing something that will be their last words on earth. Now, anybody who's faced with that task is gonna have a new relationship with language. Every word is going to feel you know, incredibly sort of ultimate. And chances are you are not going to come away from that experience you know, convinced that you conveyed the gravity of, of, you know, of this farewell, of this, of this moment. You know, you're gonna do the best you can. Also, chances are you're probably gonna to try to make that, that declaration as special as you can. You might find that you suddenly have the instinct to use only the loveliest words you know, or to have it have a kind of flow or a kind of musicality to it. I mean, for goodness sake, these are gonna be the last words I say to anyone. You know, suddenly the language is, is very, very charged. And anybody, you know, who's putting everything into writing a poem is sort of dealing with a similar set of circumstances. Like the, the language is that charged. Um, it's that filled with significance and they're trying to get at something, you know, as hard to describe as a complete departure from everything, you know, and, um, uh, even if, even if what they're trying to describe is, is feeling a supreme moment of connection with something or a feeling that they've, they've just arrived on earth for the first time, also an equally daunting thing to say. 
Um, well, I, you know, again, not to diminish the experience of somebody who has aphasia, but I feel as though every utterance in their lives is that charged. You know, once they've been living with aphasia for a while and have had enough what, you know, for lack of a better term, defeats in trying to, you know, when they've seen, you know, just how difficult it is for them to, to, to get something out and have really dealt with that frustration, then the next time and the next time and the next time you try to communicate with somebody. I mean, it's, it's, it, you know, I think anybody can appreciate what, uh, uh, what, uh, what an emotional experience that might be. And so, uh, to be able to say to, okay, well, instead of, one mode of speech where you, you know, you know, dedicated to saying, I'm hungry, I'm tired, uh, I, I have to go to work now kind of thing. And this other mode of speech that actually is, is there for uh, just letting out everything that's in your heart, uh, that is, that is not so concerned with exactitude, uh, mm. uh, but, uh, but more empathy. And that, uh, and, and well, and you know, and, and by hook or by crook, people in the workshop found a way to get what they were feeling and thinking on the page. If it wasn't, they did um, in their, and it wasn't just their choice of words. It was people were doing things like um, where the words were on the page and the the visual aspect of that. So yeah, that they found a way. They found a way. They absolutely found a way, and because and because poetry, as I say, is is big enough and has there's so many different ways to interpret it and and to approach it. Here was a mode of expression where it was okay, for instance, to do without subject verb agreement or to move throughout a piece uh, with very little connective tissue, maybe no conjunctions, maybe no punctuation. Uh, as you say, to arrange the words on a page in a particular order with enough space or air between them as to, uh, as to embody uh, the, the experience that you were actually listening to something rather than reading it or to controlling the velocity at which you, know, you, uh, you read these things so that they felt more like you were thinking along with the poem. Um, some of the people in our classes, uh, you know, I think of one student who... Um, you know, she could, you know, she, she had all the nouns that she needed, you know, whenever she was, she, that she wanted to speak, she could, she could say the name of whatever it was that she wanted or wanted to bring attention to, but all of the connective tissue left her. So what did she do? You know, she was able to create poems by joining the ideas in her work with ellipses and line breaks and, and the pieces scanned amazingly. I'm thinking of another uh, participant in the class who, because again, they were not crafting an essay. They were not being asked to compose uh, an argument, but mm -hmm. were really just trying to describe a set of impressions. Uh, they suddenly had the freedom to move and cross tangents, you know, that they were able to sort of, you know, go from one subject to another subject to another subject in the course of, you know, a single sentence or a single line of poetry. They could. They could go all over the place. They could compose something that was just a series of images that added up to the feeling that they wanted to convey. Yeah. They could uh, they could do any number of things. And then there were, of course, you know, there's always one or two that that like a challenge. So of course we had a couple of students that sought to to use rhyme, sought to have 
you know, uh, a harder rhythm. And, you know, I think we even had a few students that were really putting an emphasis on their grammar and, and making it as succinct as they could. So, and, and yet everything that was produced still came under the category of poetry. And it was... And, and held together. It held together and everybody was able to connect with it. You know, yeah. even some of our more reluctant participants, you know, I think of a couple of, of folks who, who really did sort of look at it sideways and, and go, really? Uh, uh, yeah, uh, uh, this, this is what we're doing today. And, uh, you know, despite themselves. You know, and, and one in particular, at, by the end of the second workshop, was, um, was a poet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, how do you, you know, because people, you know, certainly not everybody's interested in poetry and, and um, what do you do to kind of soften people up? Because it's not just about, oh, why should I do this? But I think everybody probably has thoughts about, oh, maybe I'm not capable of doing it mm -hmm. um, or I'm afraid to do it in public. Uh, how do you how do you how do you manage that when you start a workshop? Well, personally, I, I certainly don't see any point in making somebody do something that they don't want to do. Uh, sure. You know, and if somebody's in a workshop, they've signed up for it or, you yeah. know, uh, yeah. you know, and. I have to believe that, you know, they're, they're curious, but for instance, in our group, this was a group of people that had already been meeting. And yeah. so the, you know, what was being offered that day was changing slightly. They were going from a book club to a poetry workshop. You know, yeah. they had agreed to take the class, but not everybody was necessarily like waking up that morning going, I can't wait to write a poem. So in, <laughs> and in that kind of an environment, I feel as though, uh, you know, I don't see much point in forcing somebody to do something that they don't want. But if we've got to kill time together, if we've got to be together on the subject for that day is poetry, poetry is what I have to offer. Uh, I think that, um, first of all, there isn't a license to practice. Uh, if you if you have emotions and have ever tried to put them into words, you're infinitely qualified. And as far as not being able to read something publicly or not wanting to, there's you, then then you absolutely shouldn't be forced to do that, and you shouldn't worry about it if it's something that you're uncomfortable doing. And poetry in general, and you know certainly in this country, uh, you know poetry has been enjoying uh, a real resurgence in, in interest uh, for a few years now. Uh, readership has gone up, and uh, now poetry is something that people choose as a career. And there's this whole uh, industry that has sort of popped up uh, in education to help people pursue uh, a career in poetry, which, which, which I think is fine. And uh, it's certainly my career. But it's, I think that has also created a climate where people sort of assume that if you write a poem, then naturally you should want to publish that poem, that you're writing a poem specifically to command great audiences with it. And uh, and that that you you know and and that only people that desire to do that should be the ones that are writing poems, which I'm sorry that's nonsense. Uh, writing a poem and publishing a poem are two completely different things. Um, 
and or the even audience, writing it home and showing anybody that and showing it. Yeah, I mean, it's ultimately for you. You're you're the yeah. one working something out. You're the one trying to get at something. Sharing it with somebody or making a connection with somebody else is absolutely you know can be a, a huge part of it. But you've got to have that you know some form of that connection with yourself first. You know, and so I, I don't think it's a given that you know that if you write a poem that that you know your next move is to try to get that published you know or put it in as many faces as you can i also don't think that anybody that writes a poem is supposed to be writing something that will be timeless some poems are absolutely temporary and yeah. you know it is probably you know bears mentioning that in the context that we've been discussing i've been using the word i've used the emo word emotion like 50 times but i do think yeah. that that a poem can also be whimsical and silly. What it has to convey may uh, may absolutely just be fanciful and absolutely temporary. You know that it might be a, a very fleeting thing. One know? of the great poems in the in the workshop, and it was about emotion, but kind of in a way that wasn't the focus. Was frustration of being on the four hundred five or the five freeway? Right. Right, exactly. Not exactly something you would read at a birthday or a funeral. You know, I mean, it's, you know, it was for its moment. It was for, it was for any, you know, it was first for the person who wrote it, you know, who had come to class fresh from having that experience of being, you know, caught up on the 405 and found some release of that frustration on the page when he was able to articulate, you know, some of what that was like. Yeah. Uh, and then it was, you know, because by virtue of the fact that he then shared it with other people, it was for, everybody else uh, who uh, who read it that day. Yeah. Well, as I remember it in the first workshop, you kind of spent some time deconstructing what poetry was so that people um, didn't have unrealistic expectations right. or they, un they understood there was a kind of a freedom there. Mm -hmm. And I think that one of the attractive things about this as a creative language activity for people with aphasia is that you can kind of go off the map and it can work for you. Mm -hmm. And then you moved from there to, I guess what I would call kind of like word games. We, we really that first four weeks, we were writing poems as a group. Mm -hmm. Is that what you typically do? Yeah, well, like you say, I do. I do want to try to demystify things. You know, I try to come in with examples of different kinds of poetry written in different periods. You know, and that have very different sensibilities. You know, I'll try to bring in things that are very, very small or very compressed, or that um, that out and out challenge a concept of poetry. And then, you know, coupled with things that might seem more traditional or things that that uh, people would be more likely to have experienced in school or uh, yeah. and bring those but, things but, all together. But but then also, um, you know, and from there to involve everybody first in a group and the, the games, the reason for the games and, and that kind of activity is because I'm, I'm still trying to emphasize um, what I'm trying to do is remove any pre sort of conception of work. Uh, or that this is a test of some kind, that in fact, we can even get some poetry to happen on a page together as a group inadvertently, that if I just go around the room and I ask everybody the same question and write down everybody's answer to that question, 
that when we go back through just all the answers that we have on the page, that we might actually find that we've already written a poem and nobody was nobody was trying, you know, so that yeah. and then then for the next project, you can go to somebody and say, OK, here's something we were able to produce without trying now. You know, with all the examples that you've seen and uh, and with the experience that you've just had of where sort of the bar is, let's try doing something on our own individually. And, uh, you know, and all of those all of those stages leading up to that, I find are enabling, you know, or just just, you know, taking one form of pressure off of the writer as we go. Yeah. And and when you were. Um, talking about the range of of poetry, I mean, I know you very consciously described poems that, for lack of a better way of saying it, were aphasia friendly in the sense that, from a writer's perspective, you showed us a one word poem, and other very short poems, you showed us poems that in included a lot of repetition. Mm -hmm. Um like a phrase with just one word different in each, on each line or something like that. And in general, I thought you did a, a good job of showing people how they could um, not only be playful and make something, but they could make something out of not much, I guess, for lack of a better right. way. Of As uh, Nelson Algren said, a little subject matter goes a very long way. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and uh, sometimes it's amazing how little you need uh, yeah. to just, you know, I mean, if I, for instance, uh, if I compose a shopping list and I just have, you know, down that shopping list, coffee, eggs, milk, bread, wine, uh, mm -hmm. it's just a list of items. But if at the bottom of that list, I add the word, you know, goodbye, suddenly it's this whole other thing. You know, suddenly there's a narrative. Suddenly there's a story. Oh, my God either the writer is going on a diet or they're about to kill themselves. Like, you know, there's, yeah. there's, you know, there's, there's drama all of a sudden. And, you know, little examples like that to just say, see, just this is one word turn and everything moves. Now, interestingly enough, uh, we did find that brevity was not the rule. You know, some of mm -hmm. the participants in the class tended toward brevity, either mm -hmm. because they had a sense that what they wanted to say was something that they could compress and others, because clearly they, you know, the effort of writing a poem was difficult and they, you know, they tended to to go small and and to uh, and to, uh, you know, uh, and to write something that was very much uh, sort of a physical embodiment of, of what was going on with uh, with their aphasia. But there were other people in that group that, you know, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking of three different folks who uh, I'm thinking of Fong, I'm thinking of Dale, I'm, uh, uh, is it uh, Larry, um, mm -hmm. who didn't necessarily uh, uh, want to stop at a few, uh, you know, at, at a few well-chosen uh, words, you know, that they actually suddenly were composing very dense pieces. Uh, yeah. I have no idea how long it took them to do this. Some stuff they did in class, but a lot of stuff uh, they took home. And that was another thing that we discovered together in the workshop, too, was, you know, it was one thing to have a generative workshop, but to have a poetry workshop doesn't mean that everybody does all their writing in the class there in front of each other. I mean, that's quite yeah. often been the root of the frustration for anybody with aphasia, you know, yeah. that, but if you, but here is, you know, and I think it's, it's worth emphasizing, here is an utterance that you have a lot of time to compose. Again, this is, 
this is not conversation. This isn't dialogue. This is a mode of communication that 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 you know, interestingly enough, may have an emotional ir- urgency, but can can be composed over uh, over quite a period of time. So that when the class met a week later and people had brought stuff in, you know, we found that's when we saw some really stunning results. You know, was that you know they had a lot of time to work on these and to, and to you know to go back and you know and because you know as as is the nature with a lot of aphasia, sometimes you know. Uh, words are more available than at other yeah. times. Well, you know, another thing that was interesting, and and you, you also talked about this, and that was that when you put it on the page and you call it poetry, it it frames it, it brings a context to reading it, right? Mm-hmm. And I think you 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 gave the the story of finding a a piece of paper on the ground with someone's shopping list, and if that was on the page and you read it, you would ascribe a meaning to it mm-hmm. in ways that you wouldn't. And I, I think what was so interesting about that was that it brought this level of engagement to the details of language and how we could talk as a group extensively about one word. Mm-hmm you know, why that word? Um, yeah, that was, and that was something that also came out too in some of the group work that we did, because of course we would, you know, we would uh, ask everybody in the, in the room, you know, a similar question. We might ask them something as simple as, um, you know, what's beautiful, uh, which is a prompt I got from uh, Gary Glazner, uh, who started the, uh, the uh, uh, Alzheimer's poetry workshop. Uh, you know, to just get all of those answers when the group saw, okay, here's all the answers together. And we read the thing in order. It had one feeling. And then we said, yeah, but what if we had, um, what if we'd put somebody else's line at the end? What if we'd read these lines out of order? Uh, you know, and they suddenly were able to see, you know, we were able to sort of demonstrate for everybody how the very last word in a poem could change absolutely everything that, you know, even if it began funny, you know, that if that you could, you know, that you could have something that was that felt funny and frivolous, but depending on the last word you chose, the whole thing could suddenly become quite dramatic or tragic or, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, yeah. I think, you know, as, as you may recall, we had that one uh, poem where we had one line that was added at late because the participant had come late to the class. And so the poem had had one sort of emotional uh, ending and then he came and the last words in his line were fried chicken and suddenly <laughs> suddenly the whole thing became the fried chicken poem you know, where it hadn't been moments before moments before it had been a poem about you know growing up depressed you know and suddenly it was the fried chicken poem you know so just that yeah uh, yeah and it was uh, yeah we had we had several experiences like that where the group was able to say oh okay just this one little degree and the whole thing becomes something else yeah yeah other techniques that seemed to be helpful were a product you call metaphor dice. That's right. Uh, the poet uh, Taylor Molly has de- developed um, a uh, a kind of game called metaphor dice, and they come in a little blue box. And I believe there's four sets of three dice, and they have mm-hmm. words on them. And the dice are also colored. And when you roll the dice uh, three at a time, and then arrange them red, white, and blue, they will give you a metaphor you know one dice might say love is and the middle dice might say small town and then the third dice will say 
prayer, producing the metaphor, love is a small town prayer. And with that as your sort of map, you're then tasked to write a poem where you bear that out. You know, uh, your, your, your organizing metaphor for that poem will be how love is a small town prayer. And uh, yeah, and there's sort of endless combinations to these dice. And yeah, those were those were fun to work with in the class. We used a, we used that we used cards with random words written on them. Uh, I think one day we also had magnetic poetry. We had high cubes, which is uh, similar right. to the metaphor dice, a product that you can easily get on Amazon, where you know dice that are designed for just uh, composing haiku. Uh, yeah, and you would see people using the metaphor dice or the high cubes or the cards kind of exclusively and still very much a creative act because mm -hmm. you're composing, you're still composing. And then at other times they would use them as prompts. Mm -hmm. I know, one day early on, I think I also came in with a bunch of toys and just objects. So in addition to the dice and the cards, you know, I might also set a rubber fish down next to you or, you know, or a pocket watch or, you know, or a glass or something. And, you know, so we had, yeah, the, the table got pretty crowded a couple of times. Yeah. Just stuff, yeah. But it all produced something. It was really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I know you, you have to go and I think we could go on talking for quite a while yes, about that. But I, I'm. I'd love to come back. I would love to have you back. We're going to have you back for another workshop too. Okay. What did you get from doing that? What did you, you know, we've been talking about our participants. What was, what was your experience of, because I know that when I asked you, I don't, did you even know what a page was? I had a, I had a very, uh, I had a very broad idea. I did not really understand it. And, um, uh, well, interestingly enough, I found it an enormously restorative experience, you know. Um, again, in sort of the climate of just being a professional writer, you know, you can, if you're not careful, you can start to assume that there are a lot of things uh, peripheral to the art. Uh, you can start to assume that those things are the art and, uh, you know, that, and, and like I said, you know, something as simple as confusing writing a poem with publishing a poem and that kind of thing. And, uh, you know, if you go to uh, your average poetry reading, half the people in the room are going to be poets. It's just, you know, it's just the nature of where poetry is these days. And uh, most, you know, most of the people who read poetry magazines are poets themselves. Mm. And it's very easy to forget that our art form wasn't just for us that 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 poets are not the target market of poetry as you know as we said at the top of this discussion it was for anybody in need of an emotional vocabulary mm. uh, the experience of working with people with aphasia you know really brings that home you know i i you know i sort of kept you know being brought back day after day after day to no this is who it's really for you know this is this is to my mind you know a room full of people who could really use and and in some cases need poetry. This is, uh, you know, and what it has to offer, the the liberation that it has to offer. Um, yeah. And so the experience was humbling, uh, but also made me excited about language again because you know spending time with uh, with these people and uh, and there and having them share their experiences with me 
their frustrations with me uh, uh, and and their achievements with me. You know, I was able to delight in it afresh. I was able to sort of uh, puzzle and wonder at just the phenomenon of language itself all over again and how astonishing yeah. and unlikely it is. Mm. Uh, so it was a wonderful experience and I want more. Unfortunately, I, due to some technical issues, I lost about the last minute of my conversation with Brendan. To wrap up, I want to say that when I was looking for a poet to facilitate our workshop and was having some difficulty, I briefly thought that maybe I could facilitate the workshop myself because, of course, I'm a therapist and I'm comfortable helping people write and whatnot. Well, it became clear to me after watching Brendan um, facilitate the group that I don't think I really could have done it, or at least not nearly as well. I think it's important to have somebody such as Brendan who has a deep understanding of poetry and has experience helping people write poetry. To facilitate these kinds of workshops, Brendan was particularly good at helping people see the value, the artistic value of what they were doing, what they were trying to do, and of drawing that creativity out of people in a playful way, in a way where there was no pressure. So I want to thank him for participating in this conversation in the show notes. I'll put some links where you can find Brendan's poetry and other information about him. If you want to learn more about the Academy of Neurologic Communication Disorders and Sciences, please visit ancds.org. Thank you.